Luke 17. And uh, I'll speak to you this evening on the subject of facing the inevitable. Facing the inevitable. And uh, tonight we're going to be learning about the Bible word offenses. Offenses. Offenses are wrongs which we do to someone else which can cause them to be offended. Do you remember how we break down that word to better understand the word offended? Off. You got it? Off-ended. Thrown out of place. If you do something that annoys me or you hurt my feelings, I am not off-ended. I'm not offended. We use the word lightly. If I allow something you do to cause me to not continue to follow the Lord and be obedient in my Christian life, then I have become off-ended. I'm offended by what's going on. And uh, so offenses are wrongs which we do to others which can cause them or someone else to be offended. Or they are wrongs which we suffer that if we don't handle correctly, cause us to be offended. So offenses are what we're learning about tonight. And an offense can be something you give or an offense can be something you receive. You won't live terribly long till you'll have been involved in both of those. And so with that said, I want to speak to you on the subject of facing the inevitable. Look at the verse again, verse 1 particularly. Jesus speaking, Then said He unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. In other words, there's no way around it. He says, I'm serving notice to you. This is Jesus talking. He said, offenses are going to come. Then He makes a statement, but woe unto him through whom they come. So what is this thing? Facing the inevitable. Offenses are going to come. That is definite. That is inevitable. In case you would not be as familiar with the word inevitable, it's something that is going to happen and there is no way around the thing. If you do this, then this is going to follow on it. And uh, that's inevitable. You cannot avoid it. It's going to happen. Because offenses are going to come, we must do three things. I'm going to elaborate on each of these. Number one, we need to make sure we are not the one through whom those offenses come. Second of all, we must learn to deal with offenses we suffer lest we become offended. And then, we need to teach, train, and encourage those we love in how to encounter offenses without being offended. Your parents, listen to me. Every one of your children will be offended. And that point, in fact, it needs to start before that happens. But at that point, it's crucial what you do with that. How you handle it. How you teach Because I can tell you with all the certitude of the Word of God that offenses are going to come. Sometimes every one of you young ladies here, you'll be offended at some point. 
Every one of you adults, you'll be offended at some point. Every one of you younger children, you'll be offended at some point. It's going to happen. The Bible doesn't say there's a way around it. It tells you it's going to happen. And what's vital is what you do at that point. And um, I'll get into that a little more. Let's consider each of these things. First of all, we, we, have to make, we must make sure that we are not the one through whom offenses come. Look again at verse 1, if you will. And please let it sink in. Now you're thinking about this. Now you're thinking about offenses. You're thinking about what this is about. So let's look in verse 1. Then said He, Jesus, unto His disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. That Bible word woe is a very strong word. On, I believe, this side of the sign facing the hill this week, if I'm correcting my remembrance, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Is that what we put on that one? And which is, a, uh, which is part of a verse out of, out of Isaiah. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Isaiah, let's see. Pardon? Now, and, uh, and so, uh, woe unto them. It's a strong curse from God. It's a, it's a strong thing. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And, uh, and so, Jesus said, woe unto them through whom the offenses are going to come. He said, they're going to come, but if you allow me this, He said, don't you be the one through whom they come. We must make sure we are not the one through whom offenses come. It's interesting, the term is through whom. Look at it in your verse there. Through whom. It indicates someone who becomes a channel or a conduit for the influence of another. If offense comes through us, we are being used as an instrument of unrighteousness. I want you to consider a moment what the sources may be. Here's some of the possible ones as I understand them in the Scripture. One is from our own mind and heart. We, offense could come through us that originates in our own mind and heart. We need to recognize that. I have the ability within me to hurt people. You have the ability within you to hurt people. And not just hurt somebody's feelings, but actually injure them. It actually cause them to stumble. It may come from someone else successfully manipulating us. In other words, someone may use us as a proxy, if you will, to affect somebody else that they're wanting to get at. One thing I, as a pastor, constantly walk guard on in my spirit is not allowing anything to affect me so that I affect you improperly. That literally is a major part of what I walk guard on. Um, why I'm careful to whom I listen. It's careful, why I'm careful of what I allow to come in to affect my disposition because I don't want an offense to come through me. And so someone may successfully manipulate us and thereby do damage through us. Then, another one, not only our mind and heart, I'm talking about the sources. If an offense is coming through us, what are some of the popular, or not popular, but possible sources? One is our own mind and heart. And you would understand the less we guard our mind and heart, the more likely that is to happen. Second thing is, from someone who else who is successfully manipulating us for their end, whatever they're trying to do. And I give you a lot of verses about that. One that jumps to mind is one of the things that God hates 
is they that sow discord among the brethren. That's somebody manipulating people against each other. And you always want to watch for that. By the way, you don't ever want to be doing that. God hates it. That's the term that's used. God hates it. And so, you don't want to be part of that nonsense. Then another one is from direct satanic slash spiritual influence. And um, that comes actually in from the spirit world with it. Now, um, let's look at these, uh, looking at these things going on. Now, offenses, is there any way that there are not going to be any offenses? No, either. Offenses will come. Didn't Jesus say that? It's impossible, but the offenses will come, right? Then he said, woe unto them, and gave a strong warning not to be the one that offenses come through. So we're looking at this thing. How to face the inevitable. If, if, your, if your Savior knew it was important enough to make this statement, and your God knew it was important enough to preserve this statement through all these centuries, He's trying to prepare His children for facing what we are going to face so that we handle it properly. And as we handle it properly, then we can pass on to others how they should handle it properly. And we can help guide them through certain situations. Um, first of all, I said our own mind and heart can be a, a, a part, of the, part of the problem. Um, it can be the source because of spiritual fa- filth. You know, the Bible tells us to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So that means our spirit can get filthy just like our flesh can. He made the comment when you came into teacher's meeting. I had seen him earlier over their work on the bus. I said, you look different than you did. And he said, I smell differently too. And then he quickly added on for good. And I thought that was, I thought so because it's Holly's still sitting close to you. Um, but it's... Uh, uh, although there's very few other people in there, and I think the girls moved back one row, so hopefully he did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're nodding in agreement back there. But it's um, this, this thing of uh, our, our spirit can become filthy too. And so our own mind and heart can be a source of offense when our spirit is filthy. Uh, unforgiveness is, it brings it, causes that. And carnal thinking being allowed to fester. Fleshly, carnal, uh, ungodly thinking. When these things are there, it turns, can turn your own mind and heart into a source of offenses. And it'll come out through you and uh, cause a problem. On the subject of someone else manipulating us, it's when someone influences us to offend another as I mentioned, sort of use this as a proxy. Uh, proxy means someone's doing something on your behalf. That, that's what they're doing. They're doing that. Uh, some of you like history, you've heard of proxy wars. That's what Vietnam was supposed to be and such, where uh, uh, powers will fight through a, a, a third or third and fourth power uh, to try to try to establish whatever they're establishing without coming to direct conflict against each other. Um, if this happens... You say, wow, I'd be a victim at that point. No, we're not. If someone else successfully manipulating us causes us to offend others, to give offense, we are not guiltless. We share in the guilt on it. And I'll tell you why. It's because if we were resolute in charity, we could not be used in such a way. 
someone who is strong and resolute in the charity of the Lord, they become like a shock absorber. They become like a buffer. Just because something hits them, just because something comes to them, doesn't mean they pass it on. <laughs> they, uh, you have a shock system and, uh, and, and some type it may not all just be the same, but there are different types of suspension systems on vehicles, a lot of different variety on them. But what all of them are designed to do is take all those bumps and things in the road and keep that from jarring you every moment in that car and uh, feeling every bit of that. And so that's charity allows us to do that. Someone tries to manipulate us into giving offense, we let the offense die here and we don't perpetuate it. Very, very important with this. Um, give you an example. There's a fellow who a good number of years ago wrote a book. He was a con man and he just swindled people and conned them, wrote a book about it. <laughs> What he did. By understanding, he served jail time and stuff, and then he was talking about his life as a con man. And he made a statement, my quotation on it may not be exactly correct, he made a statement during, in, in that book. He said, you, he said, one thing I and all true con men know is you can never con somebody who's not covetous. He said, to whatever degree someone is covetous, you have a stronger chance of conning them. He said someone who's satisfied with what they have, content with where they are, it's very, very, very hard to con them. But someone who's always looking for that next thing and that edge and all that, says they have everything going on. You understand what he was saying? It was actually something that shows up in the Bible. That the reason why they could be captured or hooked is because of what was inside. It's interesting passage where it says about Jesus, it says the devil cometh to him and findeth no place in him. There was no hook. I think about it, about vehicles have some way for like a, to be towed. You know, a lot of them don't, um, but you have some way to be towed, some type of hook or something like that, where a tow truck can hook up to them and drag them along. The devil came to Jesus looking for a way to catch him. You know, he came to him with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Came to him at a time of absolute weakness after 40 days, not just of fasting, but read what the Bible says in the phraseology. He was 40 days tempted in the wilderness. We tend to focus, and rightfully so, because it's where the Bible gives the focus, on that last encounter at that time with Satan himself and that great showdown but for 40 days, he had been in the wilderness. And for 40 days, he had been tempted. And he was at a point of weakness. But yet, even when the devil came to him then, he could not get him to go along because there was nothing in Jesus that was evil or wrong. So there was nowhere for the devil to get his, get his hooks in, if you will. And so, if someone successfully manipulates us to give offense... The only way they can do that is if we have something in us for them to play off of. We have a responsibility in this. Then, the direct satanic or spiritual influence is a real possibility. I'm not turning you to this passage. We're going to go to others later. 
But in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, we find these words recorded. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. The kings, they were not allowed to take a numbering of the army to depend upon that. And what happened was, Satan provoked David. He manipulated. He did something to elicit a response out of him. He provoked David to number Israel. David's pride, or perhaps his desire to assess Israel's might, in fact, is interesting. Joab, who's... I don't know if you're like this with Joab. I am. I look at him and you're reading something. You go, okay, Joab, bad guy. You read a little further. Okay, Joab, good guy. Anybody notice that with Joab? It's like, going back and he's David's cousin and uh, was his chief military guy. And uh, Joab begged David not to do that. And he basically said, what's it matter, David? Just depend on God. I mean, Joab, you know, he was carnal as a carnal as could be at times, but he's like, David, don't do this. And it says, uh, this is sad in the context of it, it says, and the king's word prevailed. And that was not in a good sense. David was the king and he pushed the agenda. When that thing was done, it cost the lives of 70,000 people before it was done. David gave great offense because of a direct satanic approach. And, and it says that Satan himself uh, came, came to him and provoked him. But I also put the word spiritual in. And it's interesting because you remember about Moses and how that second time he was getting water from the rock. First time, what did God tell him to do to the rock to get water out? Smite. He said, you hit it with that rod, right? Second time, what did he tell him to do to it? Speak. We understand when you start understanding the Bible, what it talks about in the New Testament, that rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. It's very clear. There's a reason why that wasn't supposed to be hit the second time, just spoken to. And so Moses got upset, didn't he? Think about what he said. Think about these words. What he said to Israel, he said, must I fetch you water out of the rock? You, you uh, I almost said reprobates. Yeah, <laughs> rebels. You reprobate. He didn't call them reprobates. Uh, rebels. <laughs> um, he, he, was, he didn't want to be God's water boy right then. He was upset at him. And he took that and he smote that rock. What did he lose over that? He didn't get to go in the promised land, did he? Joshua did. But here's what the Bible says in revealing what went on behind that. It says they about Moses, they provoked his spirit. It's the people. The leadership thing, by the way. They provoked his spirit, and he spake unadvisedly with his lips. The offense went through him. He was manipulated, but it was spiritual. They provoked his spirit. Their spirit affected his spirit to where he went up. I, I was at a teen meeting a lot of years ago. Big, big auditorium and uh, up in northern, northern Ohio. A lot of teenagers there. A lot of, lot of lost kids there too. And as one of the guest preachers was coming in, some of the teens that were sitting near the aisle made some mocking and very out-of-place comments and uh, gestures towards the, towards the guest speaker. It so angered him that he spent the entire message just nailing that. I have no problem with the man nailing something when he needs nailed. But I cringed, and I know later on he did too, 
when I thought of maybe two, three hundred teenagers, some of who didn't know the gospel. I'm not talking in a looking down manner that it's a real temptation to just hammer something like that. And you see that kind of evil. And it's evil. It's pure evil. And it maybe should be addressed, but to take a whole 40 minutes with about 200 teenagers, all of whom could have gotten, heard the gospel, been taught the right way. Basically, if you do that, then you're letting the most reprobate in the crowd take over the crowd. By the way, you think that's not an easy thing to fall into, you've not done much public speaking. It is something all, and I don't care if you teach a class, I don't care if you're preaching sometime, I don't care if you're up singing or whatever, <clears throat> you have to walk guard and never let uh, a, a, an element that is out of the way from where they should be derail you from staying on God's track of getting out what He wants us to. May God help us to do it. It takes His grace to do it and, and He'll help you uh, with that if you'll let Him. And so what is this? It, it came through Him. Uh, then we must learn to deal with offenses that come our way lest we be offended. By the way, um, pay particular attention to this point because that deals, this goes into the meat of the last point about training and encouraging others. Because if we learn this point, we'll be able to help the others, which is the final thing here. Um, we, the last point is we must teach, train, and encourage those we love and how to encounter offenses and not be offended. Okay, The thing we're looking at right this moment, we must learn how to deal with offenses when they come. Our offense is going to come. I, I, I'm sorry. Our offense is going to come? We have that down in the authority of Jesus Christ, don't we? Our offense is going to come to you in particular. Are they going to come to people you love? Then let's help one another. And let's, let's learn to do this because they're going to come. It'd be nice if they didn't. And uh, I, I think we could cut down on them a lot. What do you think? I think by, by being obedient, we could, we could make sure we're not part of that process and stay out of that. And uh, we ought to. Um, we have the example of Jesus. And He was teaching the disciples and everybody who was listening to Him about this thing of dealing with offenses that come. Uh, look in Matthew chapter 23. This is an amazing little study within a study. Matthew 23. Look there, please. Now, Jesus is teaching a group of people. The subject comes up about the Pharisees. Well, let me tell you one of the real problems with Pharisees as far as how they affected other people. The Pharisees were the people who literally believed their Old Testament. Let me ask you something. I'm laying no verbal traps here for you at all. Is it not the right or good thing to do to literally believe the Bible that you have? Yes. And they were the people who did that. They were also the people who by and large, had the most religious influence within the nation. They held more of the higher positions. Not all of them, but the higher one. So they are the conservative, we actually believe our Bible, group. But weren't there major problems with it? I mean, didn't Jesus have to just deal with them harshly? Time and get how much offense do you think that gave to the Israelites? 
Yeah, they, they believe it. the Bible exactly, but they're not nearly as nice as that Sadducee is. And people will... <laughs> and because offense is given, someone will discard truth just because someone's nice. It's amazing how superficial we are towards the things of God. Someone's nice to us, therefore we'll accept whatever doctrine they're saying. May God help us to have sense about this now. But watch what Jesus says. He'll explain it as He was telling them how to interact with these people. Verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to His disciples. So He's talking to this whole crowd because they all need to hear it. Saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sat in Moses' what? See, that doesn't mean there was some kind of a chair that they carried around Moses sat in. They're talking about, he's talking about they're teaching you the Word of God. Those scribes, they were the ones who copied it. And he said, they're in Moses' seat. They are teaching you and they are preserving what was said. Can you almost feel there might have been a little bit of a recoil among people when he said that? And by the way, there had already been some serious run-ins between Jesus and these scribes and Pharisees. They were laying in wait for him a lot, trying to trip him up and stuff. But look what he's teaching about how to handle offenses. And if we get this in us, we'll be able to help others in their time of need also. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sat in Moses' seat. Look in verse uh, 3. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, Whatever they teach you that the law teaches, observe, observe. That observe. And do. But do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. So he tells them, you've got some hypocrites running things. But they're teaching you straight doctrine. Therefore, people of God, this was Jesus' teaching, you may not throw out truth because someone's not handling that truth right. May God give us maturity to deal with this. Now watch. This gets, this gets intense. What happens with it? He gives examples. Verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they're willing to tell you everything you're supposed to do, but they're not doing anything themselves. Please notice in this, Jesus is very plain with truth. He doesn't sugarcoat it and say, oh, these are great guys. And, all. and He also doesn't say, well, you poor victims with religious leaders like that, I can understand why you go away from truth. He did not allow for either of those errors. Let's see what else they did. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. By the way, he would know their motive. <laughs> and make broad their flackeries. You see that word, flackeries? That's, that's a broad thing they would wear on their clothing and they would sometimes have Scripture on stuff and the bigger it was, the more spiritual you were. You know, hey, look at this. And enlarge the borders of their garments. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts. You say, that's a weird thing about the garment, is it? You've been in any college graduations? I've graduated a couple of times. 
According to what your degree is and where you're at, it determines the color and how long the hood is and how many different things. You can tell if you're getting your undergraduate, if you're getting your master's degree, if you're getting your doctorate. You can also tell where your standing is within the, uh, uh, within the academic uh, uh, hierarchy of things with that. And so, same stuff. Um, my, my theory is anything that puts a, puts a dress on a guy isn't good. Um, verse 6, And love the uppermost rooms at feast and chief seats in the synagogues. That's what they love. Greetings in the market. And to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. It's obviously talking within religious context there. For instance, if I was to call myself Father Manning instead of Pastor Manning, I would uh, be directly going in violation of the Word of God. Just let that land where it fits. Verse 10, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. And he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. See how they do that? By giving offense. By exactly what Jesus is having to teach them about. Where people say, well, those are the Pharisees. Those are the scribes. Those are the people who write the Bible. Those are the people who say they believe the Bible. And look how they're doing over here. And he said, you shut up heaven by doing that. You offend other people. You are the source through whom offense comes. Now, he just rebuking them here. There were scribes and Pharisees listening while he's talking. <laughs> he wasn't bashful about that. It's like Brother Roloff. I've mentioned him lately. He preached to the... Uh, uh, Texas Bar Association, which that's the not not the boozing club. That's the Texas Bar Association. That's that's lawyers. That's all the lawyers and such. And he took as his text, "Woe unto the lawyers." That's what he preached about. Man, he just went after. You know, these guys weren't bashful about preaching. And um, but he, as he's telling them, he's teaching the people, regardless of what you see going on, truth is still truth. Hey, I ask you again, church. According to Jesus, our offense is going to happen. Are we going to face offenses? Are people you love going to face offenses? Then let's learn from Christ how to be prepared when that happens. And let's be ready to face the inevitable. <laughs> Great quotation. I like this. I found it recently. I've had it written down for a few months now. It said, it's better to be prepared for what you don't want to face than have to face what, that for which you're not prepared. I wrote that down in one of my little things I keep. It's better to be prepared for what you don't want to face than it is to face that for which you're not prepared. It's a good statement. And uh, verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. The last verse I'm going to give you with this is verse 15, because I want you to see what they do. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. That's to convert somebody to their way of thinking. And in this sense, it isn't converting them to the law of God. It's converting them to their way of thinking about stuff. 
And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. So they are giving offense and affecting others to give offense. I think anybody who has any spiritual thinking would want to say we want to stay away from being a part of that for sure. We're also instructed on what to do when the offense comes by Paul's response to an unjust situation where he was treated wrongly by somebody in authority. Look in Acts chapter 23. That's going to happen. Acts chapter 23. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And at that point, you're either going to continue or be off-ended. Our Savior deserves not to lose anybody who's following Him. Acts 23. Look in verse 1. Uh, imagine what's happening here. It's, it, it, it's just sort of like a trial situation. This is one of the passages, by the way, that leads many to think and, and leads me sort of to have a tendency to think that way. That perhaps Paul had a problem with his eyes. There's a couple of things in the Bible kind of point to that. It never declaratively says it. But you'll see he doesn't recognize something that's in the room here, here with him. Look what he says. And look how injustice is. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So he's getting ready to give his testimony to this group who's got him there for a sort of a trial type thing. And he just makes a statement, I've lived in good conscience before God. And the high priest... Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. He makes that statement. Paul does. He says, I've lived in good conscience before God. The high priest says, hit him. And somebody just, bam. I mean, smacks him like crazy. Now what they did right there was a violation of Jewish law. And Paul calls it just like that. But look what he does. So it's an unjust situation. He's being mishandled. Look what, he's, look what he says though. Verse 3, Then said Paul unto him, Paul heard him say it, then the guy hits him, the other guy hits him, the high priest did what the other guy did. And Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, which he's calling him a hypocrite. That's a very strong term meaning hypocrite. God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? You said, did he say it like that? I bet he did. You just got punched in the head. You put a little emphasis on it. And they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? Paul just got punched in the mouth because that guy said so. He rebukes him that way, in that tone, in that strong way. Look what happens. Then said Paul, I wist not. He said, I didn't know. He said, I wist not. <laughs> that brethren that he was the high priest for it is written thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people he apologized after he got punched in the face he apologized for the way he responded that's not your average American response or any other nationality you won't put on that I would think so what was he doing it was back to the teaching that Jesus said. 
they sat in Moses' seat. You know one of the high priests in the New Testament prophesied about Christ being the Messiah? Because as the high priest, there were certain things happened to people who were in that position. And Paul, bang, they hit him. God will smite you. I mean, he's producing you know, judgment on him. But he says, you talking that way to the high priest? I didn't know it was the high priest. Because the scripture says, yeah, did it? Mm. Boy, help. God help us get this down. So in other words, the thing we have to learn is that our God is above and beyond it all. If someone or some ones or some group or some whatever decide that they are going to proclaim whatever they are, bless God, we are the ultimate Bible believers. (laughs) And they do something offensive I am still responsible. And to me, it's encouraging I can. Not only I must, but I can stay true to the Word of God. And I don't have to be off-ended because of an offense. Offenses are going to come. But I don't have to be offended because they do come. My boys were growing. They were... Allowed to ask questions, have discussions. They were allowed to ask me about truths and Bible, things that were said even from the pulpit. They were not allowed to be disrespectful, rude, criticizing or cutting down. They were individuals, still are, now they're adult men, have been for a long while. In every sense of that word. So they may at different times choose to do whatever. When I say they were not allowed to, I'm saying when they were young, we didn't go that way with the conversation. In other words, all day long, they could say, Dad, Brother so-and-so preached this. Is this accurate? Or I don't see what that's about. Or I don't see that. All day long, I talked to him about it. I would be very frank about it. Boy, catch this. If I knew the preacher had missed it, I didn't act like he hadn't just because he was preaching. But I also didn't allow the criticism or running him down. It takes some wisdom among Egypts to be able to stand firmly on the Word of God and realize that every time it's being taught, Every time it's being preached, every time it's being discussed between believers, every time people are living in front of us that we know to be believers, that all those actions, all those teachings are being done by very fallible people. And if the only person who can lead or teach you is someone who has everything perfectly together, you're not going to grow. In fact, you have a good chance of wiping out. I'm not talking about... There, there are folks I won't listen to. 
because I know they've gone so far off the rails and they have purposely stepped away from what's true and I don't want them influencing. Are you catching the, the biblical balance of what I'm trying to teach here? The biblical balance of it is I have come away and I've gone, hmm, hmm, that missed. We had a guest preacher this year and they made an erroneous statement as far as facts go. And then repeated it, kind of reinforced it. One of our good members asked me, said, was that right? Nope, wasn't right. In other words, Brother Robin, God help me, I'm never going to take, well, the preacher said that it has to be. Um, why don't you just go ahead and call him Father too. Let him rule your faith and decide whether or not your sins are forgiven. I believe in the living God and I believe I have to follow that book. My only statement, fortunately I was talking to somebody with maturity that wasn't, didn't throw them, they were just asking a question about it. But I, my, my only statement is, you know, I always, I, I cringe a little. Forgive me the way I think of things. I cringe a little because I know how easy it is to do that stuff. I know how easy it is afterwards somebody say, oh, preacher, did you say that statement? Preacher, you know in your sermon you said, there's part of me that goes, oh no, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> Not that I'm afraid somebody's going to bounce me. It's just like, oh no. And, uh, you know, some, someone did that. I remember one time I gave Sarah's name wrong, you know, her age wrong. And I heard about that one about five times before the day was over and should have. I got back that night and said, by the way, Sister Sarah's going to be mad at me. I made her older. I had Sarah being, you know, 100 years old. And uh, so anyway, I, I, there's no sister living or dead once you put a decade on them. Amen. And are, are you getting it? It's charity that gives us the grace to withstand the offenses. Because charity, I can see a brother or sister in town doing something that breaks my heart as a pastor. And charity can let me still love them and say, well, all right, there, there's, there's areas of growth needed. Maybe I'm getting to be an old guy. What I always come away from it because I've had that happen recently. And... Um, I come away from it. And I'm not I'm not trying to paint off as super spiritual, but it's not two or three minutes later as I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, God, oh, thank you so much for being patient with me. I mean, they're struggling in that area, but Lord, you know, as much as I know and as much Bible as I know and as long as I've been preaching. and yeah. I mean, after a while, I don't even know they exist anymore in that sense. It's like, God, thank you for being gracious. And charity will allow us to handle the offenses. We must teach, train, and encourage those that we love in how to encounter offenses without being off-ended. The single most important thing to pass on to somebody to help them, and it's not my idea, it's biblical, is a real abiding love for the Word of God. Perhaps Psalm 119 has come to your mind already, but let's look there, please. Psalm 119. Let me make sure, yes, the last verse I'm going to show you, Psalm 119, look in verse 165. And I know this isn't quite as exciting as me preaching against every group that you find politically offensive, but this will help you. Help you to help others. And it's something 
as parents, we need to get down. It's something as as friends, we need to get down. It's something as as brothers and sisters and spouses, we need to get down so we can help one another. Because it may be that one you're helping is having a weak time where they're susceptible to that offense and you can help them because God's helped you. Psalm 119 and verse 165. Great peace have they which do what, church? Love thy law. Not just know it. Love it. And what shall offend them? Nothing. Doesn't mean your feelings can't be hurt. It means you stay in love with the law of God. You stay in love with the person of Jesus Christ. And you can stay on track. You can stay on track. Listen carefully to my final statement here. When someone we love has been mishandled, that's offenses, we must, through the Word of God, confront their confusion without censoring their questions or consenting to their criticism. Because when someone's offended, they become critical. Somebody, something. When someone we love is encountering these offenses that are definitely going to come, we must confront their confusion. Oh, we don't talk about that. It's a bad choice. Don't do that. Well, I'll tell you what, you just, you just handle it. So like somebody's very upset. Well, you have a good attitude. Uh, we say very many foolish things. We need to confront their confusion without censoring their questions in the sense of not allowing anything to be questioned. And, just as important, without consenting to their criticism. And it's very appropriate at times, according to your situation, who you're dealing with, what the ages are and all that. So I go, I'll tell you what, I believe. And they're upset. Okay, okay, okay. And it may happen anywhere. You may, you know, we're, we're in a church setting. We're talking about here, but that can happen. You'll have it happen at your work. You'll have it happen, you know, out and about in town. You'll have it happen with family members. It, it's kind of crazy. It's sort of like, you know, how if you get a little splinter or something in your finger, how that thing can annoy you unbelievably. Little bitty tiny thing. And it's like, good night. You know, just keeps bothering you and it hurts. You don't realize how many times you touch your that particular finger until you got something in it. And you get it out and it's so small you can barely find it with an electron microscope. You know, it's like just, and it's like, really? That was bothering my whole day? Sometimes the offenses are not big things. They're just something that gets in and festers. Or hits a particular nerve area for us. We all have those. And uh, you know, someone, ah, I'll tell you what, hold on, hold on, let's calm down. What's really upsetting to you? What is it that you find offensive about that? These simple, clear questions. Well, I think it's a good statement, okay? What, what did you see that was wrong about this statement? Well, they said this, and I don't think it's right to say that. Then you've got to have, if it wasn't right, you say, you're correct. And uh, some very good people can make some very bad statements. Uh, let's talk about how we can avoid doing that.
what I'm trying to tell you is according to the Scripture, when these offenses come, we have an opportunity to learn and to teach about God and help others go through some mighty trying times. Let me pray with you and for you tonight. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Um, I felt the frailty of trying to put words together on this one. And uh, I pray for a clear understanding in Your people's hearts, minds. May some be provoked to think about this so they can be helpful to others. God, help us. Help me. Help Your people. Help us, Lord, to stand and stay steady when offenses come. There's nothing worth taking us out of serving you. Lord, help us to love you enough to live that. Pray you'll bless the invitation for your own purposes. Amen. Let's stand together, please.